The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! My name is Paul Kretzky. Oh. And my name is James Kaminsky. Hi, I'm your other co-host. How's it going, Paul? <laughs> it's really annoying. Oh, God. James, I'm going to need a new carton and possibly a new heart. As it turns out, faking coughing really hurts. <laughs> Welcome to the Third Men Podcast. I do not feel well. <laughs> Paul is hurting. If you haven't guessed, this is a podcast in which we basically harm ourselves uh, for your uh, enjoyment. Oh, so, God. Paul? Just collect myself. Take another sip of this, take another sip of this coffee here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all those <laughs> cigarettes you smoked, Paul. And mm, by all, I mean I could... it's that pack of cigarettes you looked at and then immediately started coughing. Oh, I do not feel well. This is our Jack White History Podcast, where we go through Jack White music and history and television appearances, and in some cases, cinematic adventures, and I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. And I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky. Well, that worked out, didn't it? It sort of did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Paul's dead. Oh, I thought I'd be a big man and pretend to cough. thought I'd be the the, the hippest... Hippest fawns in the in the in the juke joint. Uh, James, why would I put myself through this physical pain? I ask uh, you. Well, Paul, you might want to sit back and relax and enjoy a, a nice cup of coffee, nice cup of Joe. Kick back, turn on that films that film screen. <laughs> yeah, the film screen. Turn yeah. it on. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Put in a, some reel-to-reel. Camera speed. Now, here is a motion picture film. Today we're talking about assorted Jack White movies, including, uh, but not limited to, cigarettes and coffee. Yeah, well, coffee and cigarettes. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you say tomato, I say jarmouche. Well, before we get into this here, you had talked about this one other time on the podcast, and when you said it, I was like, what? And this is why... I- kind of remind people this is why we do this show so we can find out about this stuff because i didn't even realize this had happened until a couple of weeks ago <laughs> it makes me sound like an ignoramus yeah. but as as question monster would tell you you know you have to ask questions if you're going to learn things that's what part of this podcast is you know is asking each other questions and finding these things out so boy howdy really cool i did not know this existed yeah. And it totally does. Yeah. Well, uh, before we get to that, we should hit a certain button on our remote. We should it's hit... James, am I going to have to cough again? No, please don't, <laughs> I don't cough. Do that. What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to hit the stop button because we got to stop the breaking down. No. No. 
Buddha. Stop breaking down. Please stop breaking down. Stop breaking down. Please stop breaking down. You went a little Jiminy Glick there at the end. I can't help it. At this point, anything my body does, my throat meat has been assaulted. <laughs> my heart meat hurts a little bit too. <laughs> James, stop breaking down is the portion of the show where we apologize for all the stuff we got wrong <laughs> or screwed up <laughs> in prior episodes. And we do it right here at the top just to let you know, hey, we're not putting on airs, okay? We're, uh, yeah, Paul needs we're, some we're just... air because he's dying over there after all that yeah. coughing. Look, we're learning and we're trying to be as factually accurate and not wrong as we can right. be on this show. So this is our, our chance to really just make amends. And you guys send us in corrections or sometimes we correct ourselves. Yeah, we take those <laughs> things and we spit them back out at you so that you all know just how wrong we are. So, Paul, what have we done to deserve this segment today? How did we break down? Well, this one's kind of a cute one, actually. It's nothing we actually got wrong in the episode, but Anna Newman on Facebook pointed out to us that in our posting of the Robert Johnson episode, I was spelling, and I did this as it turned out, like, a bunch. I was spelling lose your mind as loose your mind pretty much everywhere, and I would just like to take this opportunity to formally apologize to everyone for doing that uh, because I was just trying to spell out lose your mind and I was apparently talking about a promiscuous brain. Yeah, that was just that was just a little one and a little a little joke to accompany it and, uh, and I think you know I think I've learned to stop breaking down. That's been a very abruptly short stop breaking down. I didn't realize that was all we had. So um, I guess we're perfect otherwise. It's immaculate, you know. That's a stop breaking down. Light up the lights. Cue up the music. <laughs> Cameras. Yeah. And action. Man, I don't know who's directing th- that movie. Picture me in a, a jaunty cap and some sunglasses and some director's pants directing this podcast because we're, we're starting our first topic. James, I've got, I've got the image in my mind. Paul, all that's to say, let's get to Jack's film debut. Film debut. Tell me more. I, uh, Demi Moore? No, I'll tell you more, though. <laughs> Oh, boy, that was a Another. stinker. That was a real clunker. Of a Com- comedy gem. <laughs> I'll start off with saying we've been over it before, briefly, in the yeah. first Jack TV episode, Trash Tongue Television Part 1. He had his film debut in the 1987 noir mystery film starring Donald Sutherland. Oh, wow. He was in a movie with Donald Sutherland? He was, called The Rosary Murders. Now, wait a minute. Yes? Donald Sutherland, also in Cold Mountain, I wonder, was there at least a passing connection there? There almost definitely couldn't have been, because Jack White was 10 years old, Paul. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
The movie was filmed at his Catholic school, also his church in his home parish of the the Most Holy Redeemer Church in Detroit. And Jack Light, like I said, was 10. He plays an altar server, but he's an uncredited extra in the movie, actually. So he was chosen to be in the movie out of his class, but he didn't have a speaking role or anything like that. And he wasn't really the main boy on film, I'll just say. Boy on film, he's an altar boy. Boys on film. (laughs) No, 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 Paul, we don't want that. So the Most Holy Redeemer Church, which we'll get into in a in a future cast, was, like I said, his main church in the Archdiocese of Detroit, which his parents were both heavily involved with. In fact, so much, I've learned that they donated relics for the main altar in 2003, gifts from wow. his parents, Teresa and Gorman Gillis, yeah. which love the name Gorman. Gorman, yeah. I'm reading that book, Sounds of Mutant Blues, yep. and they detail Gorman and Teresa's affiliations with the church. His father was a maintenance man. Yes. And his mother was the secretary for the archdeacon. So, yeah, it looks like a lot of their life revolved around the church. And, James, as you as you mentioned, we'll, we'll sort of get into that on another episode. But it looks like the church is really a, a centerpiece here. So, in an interview with Pamela DeBars, Jack White had said, They came and filmed it at my church, my school, the school I went to in this huge complex. And the writer of the book lived in my neighborhood in southwest Detroit. That's where it took place in the book. So, that was crazy. And he laughs and he, goes, he says, I don't know why they wanted me. There were a hundred altar boys, but there was another altar boy that got to drop the cross on the priest. <laughs> he was to fall asleep and drop the cross on the priest. And I wanted to be that kid really bad. As a matter of fact, in between takes, they yelled cut. And I actually went over and picked that cross up and held it. Wow. And came back and the director said, no, no, you can't do that. We already have this other guy going to do it. And I said, oh, I thought maybe we could take turns or something. And whoever did the best take would be in the film. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty interesting start to his film career. I'm sorry. I'm just ordering the rosary murders on uh, Amazon. <laughs> oh, free one day delivery. Yes, please. $13.99. Sold. Format DVD. There's only 10 left in stock, James. I have to act now. I just placed the order. What have I done? It's real time, folks. This is real time. So that's that's his film debut. And obviously he's had television roles after this. But uh, let's fast forward to the meat of this podcast, mm. which is going to be his adult film debut. Ooh, that sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> his first movie... As a consensual adult. <laughs> it's not, not getting better. Getting a little worse, actually. <laughs> Let's get to coffee and cigarettes, Paul. Woo! I would just like to say, I, I purchased coffee and cigarettes when you said we were going to do this episode. And I spent the first hour... Eh, maybe more like 40 minutes not understanding what I was watching <laughs> and quite honestly perplexed with as with most Jim Jarmusch movies Correct. but by the time that movie was over gosh darn it I loved that film <laughs> it really grew on me and the performance actually get 
increasingly better. So while I thought I was going to start out this episode telling everyone don't watch this film, it's actually great. So thank you, James. I just want to just put it out there. Thank you for suggesting this wonderful topic because I wound up loving the film. Yeah, me too. I hadn't really watched it before this year, so it was pretty cool to see finally. One thing it definitely taught me was that every single relationship in life is awkward and horrible. And... <laughs> yeah. Well, do you want to do you want to just let, let's paint a picture for the people of what this film is. So, Coffee and Cigarettes is a movie directed by Jim Jarmusch in 2003, but not actually 2003 because Paul this movie was filmed over the span of 17 years. 17 years? Yes. The movie uh, consists of 11 black and white vignettes all surrounding similar themes, including coffee, cigarettes, and the struggles and awkwardness of personal connection. Yeah. You can see a lot of consistent themes pop up in each of them. I would say that they get a little more sophisticated, actually, as they go on. And Jack and Meg show up about halfway through the film and, and do a wonderful segment of the film. It's just them, just the two of them. It's uh, it's a great way to spotlight each mini cast, and I just love that Jack and Meg are the mini cast for an entire one of these things, because I don't think I've heard Meg talk that much ever. Yeah. Three of the 11 shorts were actually released separately as short films. The third segment in the movie, actually, somewhere in California, was billed as Coffee and Cigarettes 2 somewhere in California, which is the one that stars Iggy Pop and Tom Waits. Hey, hey, Tom. All right. All right. I'm glad you can make it. You are here. Yeah. Yeah. And that one actually won the 1993 Best Short Film at the Cannes Film Festival. Wow. It's a big day for you. It is. It was a medical Every, morning. Was, everybody's all right. Everybody's fine. The first segment that actually kicked it off was originally written for Saturday Night Live as a fill-in sketch. What? Yeah. By Jim Jarmusch? Yeah. In 1986, Jarmusch was uh, asked to make a short film for Saturday Night Live starring Roberto Benini and comedian Stephen Wright, and they were supposed to be goofing over coffee and cigarettes, and it ended with Benini offering to go to his dentist appointment for him. That is why it reads like an SNL sketch, actually, now that you mention it. Yeah. So there, there are 11 vignettes of smaller skits, right, recorded over, over that span of time in chunks, I guess? Or what was that? How did that work there? Yeah, so over the 17 years, he would meet people, meet idols, meet other assorted folks. Throughout his, his film and music career, he would ask them to take part in little tiny short films. You know, it started in 1986, and it moved all the way until around 2002 when he finally finished filming it. Every every person in the movie was always someone who Jim looked up to or thought was a was some kind of interesting artist or alternative artist of the time. That's cool. Including uh, our friends and yours, Jack White and Meg White, were in this movie. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. An initial impression here. The movie's definitely strange because they are it's composed of vignettes and because it's sort of this artsy thing and sort of black and white. It's definitely a lot to process. I had to kind of get into it when I was watching it, I know. But once you do find a groove with it, it does wind up being quite good. 
and the Jack segment is is actually really good, and there are some definite standouts in there. But like overall, as a film experience, it's kind of a weird, very art house feeling film, James. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's got an air to it, right? But it's not to its detriment. It doesn't come off as pretentious as it could have. I mean, it's still no, no. It's still there that little bit of pretension, but it's you know I think it, it's it's successful with what it's trying to do, right? And I I did really enjoy the White Stripes segment, and I enjoyed the Iggy Pop and Tom Waits one that won the film festival, as well as the Alfred Molina one and the Bill Murray one. Those were favorites of mine. And it it definitely is, it relies pretty heavily on name and face recognition. Right. The film definitely wouldn't be as good or as funny if you didn't know who Bill Murray was, or if you didn't recognize Jack or Meg, or, you know, it wouldn't have the same resonance. Yeah, it's part of its charm. I think it's part of the point. It's playing with recognizability and and it's also using that recognizability and putting it against intimate vulnerability. It was done purposefully, and it might have started as a goof, you know, for Saturday Night Live, but it turned into something else. We'll just say a couple more standouts. The Kate Blanchett scene is flat out incredible. The Bill Murray RZA scene, which you which you mentioned, is is great as well. The the Benini one, I didn't really actually care for i didn't really understand it 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 was reading a little like watching an improv group or something you know but in the end i was sort of okay with it yeah i agree i'm gonna give a little background as to how jack white ended up in this weird art piece the white stripes met jim jarmusch at a concert in new york city they were playing a free live show in union square and they saw him in the audience and they became fast friends after that the live show was actually for nissan nissan had sponsored it what wait jack was jack was playing for a car company yeah he (laughs) oh man it's just funny to me he's playing for a car company after all of his railing against car companies oh i know when he met jim jarmusch he gave him a nice big hypocritical kiosk (laughs) the show was uh on october 1st 2002 uh, and it was unseasonably warm it was very very warm it was like summer weather some background on the show real quick the show was had apparently went past its one-hour curfew, and they pulled the plug during Bull Weevil, but Jack refused to stop. So he wow. he sang Bull Weevil a cappella. What? <laughs> the crowd started booing when the pl- plug got pulled, and Jack had to like calm them down. He had to shush them and shut them up. And wow, he's like, "You guys, we're gonna we're gonna finish this song." And then he played the song without mics or guitar or anything. <laughs> that they waited until Bullweevil to pull the cord and that song is A at the end of his set and B like a minute and a half long so like they couldn't have waited the 43 seconds they had to cut him off mid Bullweevil uh, when was that in 2003 you said? 2002 October 1st 
2002. Yeah, so I missed it by a year. I would be going to college in New York City the fall of 2003. I could have potentially been at that. And I went to school not far from Union Square. So that's kind of a bummer. It was a free show and it, it had a little bit of notice because it was a like a Nissan event, but it had vibes almost of the rooftop concert with the Beatles because, you know, they said that, you know, it was throngs of people, but also construction workers on street corners, you know, were, were watching and office goers were, were watching it kind of kind of beatily to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So in an interview with Mean Magazine, they, they, they actually interviewed both Jim uh, Jarmusch and Jack White at the same time. They're, they're very funny when they're together. They asked him, how did they meet? And Jim had said, uh, well, we were in Vietnam together. <laughs> Jack says, yeah, that first time, that was rough. Then Jim says, we first met in New York because I was a White Stripes fan. I got to go backstage and meet you guys. Then Jack says, you tried to go backstage. Jim then says, that's right, I tried, but there were minions preventing me, but I took care of them and I fought my way back. Then Jack, those were actually Meg's minions. Jim, Jim, that's right, they're Meg's minions. They were protecting Meg, the Megnions. Jack, Meg and her Megnions. Jim, she deserves to have Megnions. That's that's it. That is good. Although they're they're doing it all at Meg's expense, which is iffy. But okay, <laughs> it's just Jim throwing out Megnions made it just the best interview. Like that whole yeah. interview is really good. In fact, I'll, I'll we'll post the link in the show notes. But that that interview with Mean Magazine is extraordinary. So basically, uh, J- Jim and Jack hit it off, and they start talking, and they meet up at Jim's office in New York, and. When they meet, Jack actually notices a book about Nikola Tesla in, in Jim Jarmusch's office. So they, they got to talking about Tesla. Jack, a notorious Tesla fan, as we knew in his, from his first album yes. in the song Astro. Yes. So they originally actually talked about doing a video about Tesla, short film, but it, it was starting to get too pricey, actually. So they decided uh-huh. to do something different. In that same interview with Jim and Jack, Jim says, but anyway, we were talking about doing a video together. Jack and I were both Nikola Tesla fans and wanted to do the video. Jack had a beautiful idea where he was going to play Tesla in the video. And I forget what happened, but we didn't do that. Jack said, it was too expensive. Jim said, yeah, we couldn't figure out how to reduce our epic idea to reasonable record company prices. <laughs> Presumably, I don't know if this is real or not, but he presumably joked that he would play Tesla alongside Philip Seymour Hoffman Edison role. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome, actually. And Philip Seymour Hoffman would have made a great Edison. Yeah, and they had planned to do a scene in which Philip Seymour Hoffman would execute an elephant, uh, which apparently Edison did when he was trying to uh, disprove Tesla's theory about alternating current. It's a it's a sham. The whole thing's a sham. It's just Edison killing an elephant with with electricity in today's day and age is kind of weird to see well i mean yeah it's pretty cruel but this didn't actually come into being it's funny jack gives it a reason that got so expensive was that meg wanted a couple million to appear in it (laughs) jim says yeah well she's worth it but the record company didn't see it that way so when we were just hanging out i remember meg and jack came into my office and jack was looking at all my tesla's books and jack says i stole one actually and jim goes i wondered where that went then we did coffee and cigarettes for fun. I tricked them into agreeing to do it somehow. I put some drugs in their coffee. Wow. For those of you who don't know, by the way, Nikola Tesla was a Serbian-American inventor who made a lot of leaps forward in electrical uh, inventions, most notably designing like alternating current. That, that was his big deal, and he mm-hmm. was in a notorious rivalry with Thomas Edison and... 
Thomas Edison and and Tesla were throwing these barbs back and forth. And even when Tesla wound up being right, Edison would still try and disprove the right thing for the wrong ends. And that's kind of what doing the Astro wound up being sort of about, even though it wasn't limited to them. The, the notion of doing the Astro is saying something wrong for your own benefits, even though it's you know it to be wrong. That's what the, that's what Jack means in that song. But uh, maybe Tesla does the Astro. Maybe Edison is ACDC, that thing. Yeah, Jack's Jack's always had kind of an obsession with him, like you said, and not limited to just an Astro. But there's also a Tesla coil adorns the record label and storefront logos. Jack also had wanted to apparently build a Tesla coil since he was a kid. And then Jack Jack has always had an affinity for this kind of failed technology almost. Yeah. He really likes stuff that kind of never caught on. He says that you can go through a list of inventions that nobody knows that he invented, like the fluorescent light, radio remote control, and alternating current motor. It just goes on and on. He's just so much more important than Edison, I think. He was the true genius. And Edison had a lot of really good inventors working for him, and he was taking their ideas. So... I think what it comes down to is Jack believes what a lot of people believe now, which is that Edison was more of like a really good modern day marketer and was able to market these ideas way better. Yeah. He, he's the Stan Lee of electricity. <laughs> yes. I'll be the judge of that. I, I'm sorry. Edison is the Stan Lee of electricity. Tesla's like Jack Kirby. <laughs> that's, that's about right. To get to the actual segment that Jack's in. It's pretty far into the film. It's it's definitely past the halfway point. It's where the movie starts picking up, honestly, but um, yeah, it's, it's pretty far in. I'll just give a short overview. Jack explains Nikola Tesla's legacy and inventions to Meg. He had wheeled in a wagon. We don't see it happen, but he had wheeled in a, a wagon with a Tesla coil on it. After a long while of Jack and Meg just sitting in in a room smoking and drinking coffee. Meg asks Jack about the coil that's sitting there. He claims it's an air transformer that he built on Nikola Tesla's designs. Meg then asks him, So Jack, are you going to show me how the coil works? Yeah, alright. So he tests it in the coffee shop until it suddenly stops working. Meg points out a couple reasons why it could be not working, and Jack agrees to, to one of the reasons. They clink their glasses and then uh, he takes the wagon home to repair the Tesla coil. Meg actually gets the last word in the segment, repeating a line that Jack had said about Tesla. Earth is a conductor of acoustical resonance. Meg is actually surprisingly good in this role, and Jack is unsurprisingly good as well. Uh, They're both quite natural but what took me by surprise was how comfortable meg seemed to be in front of the camera given how crazy shy she is and all this anxiety she has i don't know if it's just the case of it was early enough in their career where that wasn't quite hitting her as hard or whether or not the closed movie set was a little easier for her to deal with i mean she was great she was flat out great in this thing yeah also what struck me is how funny jack is he's he's got a real talent for comedic timing it seems yeah at one point he's rattling off the list of of tesla's inventions and meg says that he's also responsible for the rock band tesla to which jack just kind of stares <laughs> at her and goes fine 
So it was, you know, he's he's got some pretty good comedic timing in it. You know, he he's very good at the sarcasm thing. And Meg asks him if he maybe blew a capacitor, and he goes, "No, I didn't blow a capacitor." <laughs> They're in a small cafe in in Detroit. They're the only people in there. They have a couple of definite Jack White accoutrement. They have. A little red wagon. I got a real red wagon! Which got that childlike thing, which has red in it too. Iggy Pop and the Stooges is playing in the background. The song is Down on the Street. And he appears prior to that in the movie, so it's one of the various connections to other skits from the film in this particular segment. I feel like this segment and the Bill Murray segment are the most connected segments to the other skits in the film. Yeah, yeah, I I would give you that, yeah, definitely. Most of this was actually scripted by Jim Jarmusch. There are additions made by Jack and Meg, a little bit of improv was done, but it's mostly scripted. They also mention bowling at the end, which is another oh, yeah. That's right. Jack White accoutrement. What I did take away from it is that there is a lot of sitting around and not saying anything, which also happens to be Jack's favorite part. He he really does love Jim's way of, of showing silence. He's actually said in an interview, you can't get away with that dead air in radio or in music. I mean, there's some skits where that's all they do. There's that one of that girl who's reading through the gun magazine. Uh, yeah. And the guy keeps trying to refill her coffee. Yeah, I looked her up. <laughs> what I found was that this is basically her only film role, and she's only known uh-huh. for this. And so there you have it. Uh, she became permanently associated with this indie film, and she's actually pretty good in the scene. Yeah, Renee French. Renee French is her name. She rocks a wicked beehive. Yes. Anyway. To get back to the actual segment, the background has a painting of Lee Marvin in it. Paul, do you want to explain why Lee Marvin is in this? Oh, yeah, because Jim Jar- wasn't Jim Jarmusch and Tom Waits in a Lee Marvin lookalike club? Something along those lines. The Sons of Lee Marvin. Yeah. A secret society devoted to the iconic American actor Lee Marvin. Yeah. The sole requirement to enter is that you have to have a physical resemblance to plausibly look like a son to of Lee Marvin. Marvin. Yeah. John Lurie was also in The Sons of Marvin. Uh, also Nick Cave, who opened for Jack White in 2007. Uh, other r- rumored members, Iggy Pop is another rumored member. And Neil Young is a rumor member who recorded in the an album in the recording booth at Third Man Records. Wow. So uh, Lee Marvin's in the background, and, and actually it was by a painter who goes by the name Zito. The guy apparently opened a shop in 2002 right after rent prices dropped post 9-11 attacks in New York City. He's a, he's a portrait painter and a musician who paid the rent with moving jobs, and apparently... Tom Jarmusch was a friend and would stop in the shop every once in a while to talk. One day, Tom said his brother Jim needed a painting done for the movie he was making. Quote from this guy Zito, They wanted a mid-sized portrait of Lee Marvin. They sent me the photo they wanted. I dug out on an old painting I'd found in the street with a crappy, ornate gold frame around it and got to work. Funny, nowadays I would ask exactly what size they wanted or other particulars, but back then I just grabbed the nearest piece of garbage I had and started painting. (laughs) Um... 
<laughs> Apparently he finished the painting in a few days. He says, to his enduring surprise and amazement, when it finally appeared in the film, it hung on the wall between two heroes of mine, my favorite band at the time, and one that still holds a firm rank at the top of my playlists, The White Stripes. And uh-huh. who are they talking about in that scene? Nikola Tesla, another hero of mine. Wow, that's it's, awesome. And this guy Zito would, would again paint a portrait for another Jim Jarmusch movie, uh, Broken Flowers. Oh, cool. Nice. So yeah, that's that's where the painting came from. In regards to Meg, Jim called her acting subtle. Jack uh, really liked Meg's work in it too. He said the hardest thing was to pretend to lecture Meg on anything. <laughs> I'd never done that before. She's usually lecturing me. You know, when I was watching the movie, I was really amazed at how good Meg was. Uh, yes, I think we came to the same conclusion. Yes. I also find it very odd that, that he's not used to lecturing Meg on stuff, but that just goes to show you, you know, who knows how, how truthful he's being, but it goes to show you how what a perception of a relationship in public is versus what it is in private can be a very drastically different thing. So for people who generalize Jack's relationship as Meg as sort of him telling her what to do, wouldn't really know, know what their real relationship was like, you know? It could also be his view is a little skewed, but... Yes, that could be. So Jim and Jack, they have kind of like a a fun friendship. Yeah. They're both fans of each other's work. Jack really likes Jim's use of silence and contrast in film. Jim loves Jack's music. Jim is apparently a very big White Stripes fan. He says he gets so much energy from seeing them play. And when you find out that people whose work you love are also incredible, great people, that's always exciting. And it's funny, they both think each other's mediums are like better in some ways jack uh, has a really big appreciation for film he says it's extremely difficult to get everybody up on the same page for a movie which we we kind of went over in cold mountain but he's like you know all of these people are kind of pulled together for one one idea and one purpose and to to pull anything out of that is kind of miraculous so jack you know has a really great appreciation for that jim on the other hand says it's it's definitely very difficult but you know that difficulty can can make really bad movies too and he really likes the directness of music he finds it more satisfying he he says jack can sit down and play a song right there in front of you and it goes right into your soul or your heart it seems so much more direct music is so magical in film i don't know it's funny i think like uh the the struggle thing might work best for a medium that is a little more short form. Uh, Jack always goes on about struggle and that's, and that's good. And that's, that's what works for him. But a song, if you're struggling through a song, it's different than struggling for a year to get a movie made. And oftentimes it can actually, instead of adding to the creativity, it can exhaust you and suck the life out of you as you see so often with, uh, films like there's yeah. a great book called Tales of Tales from Development Hell of movies that just were noted and just run into the ground for the kind of struggle that I think Jim Jarmusch is alluding to here. Yeah, it would seem Jack has an appreciation for someone who makes something out of the struggle. Make some money out of them at least. On a side note, this doesn't really have anything to do with this, but in that same interview with Jim and Jack in in Mean Magazine, Jim brings up the Saturday Night Live sketch we talked about in the first television episode where Jimmy Fallon and, and Drew Barrymore play Jack and Meg. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Jim says, hey, what do you think about Jimmy Fallon playing you on Saturday Night Live? Jack says, that was trippy. That was funny. I don't know where he got that voice for me, but it cracked me up. <laughs> Which I think is the exact same thing we said about that sketch. 
Yep. <laughs> it's like, what yep. voice is he doing? Jim said, I liked it when he jumped up on the couch and played the guitar and he was doing all of my favorite Jack White moves. So <laughs> they're having fun. So that, that that's pretty much it for Coffee and Cigarettes. But some other connections to, to other another Jim Jarmusch film. In the vampire movie starring Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston called Only Lovers Left Alive, which Jarmusch had also made. Yeah, um, I'm looking at the poster here. It, it looks very erotic. Yes, I'm sure it's a, a heaping helping of vampire eroticism, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Rochelle, Rochelle. Oh, Rochelle, Rochelle. Young girl's strange erotic yeah. journey from a long to Memphis. Yeah. <laughs> it features a nighttime scene with a boarded-up house in Detroit, and that house was Jack White's childhood home, actually. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of bizarre. The protagonists are, are driving around Detroit, and Adam, played by Tom Hiddleston, showing Eve, Tilda Swinton, some places. He goes, you know, do you want to see the Motown Museum? And she goes, no, no. And he goes, here's something you love. And he pulls up to a house, and he goes, there. That's Jack White's house. Oh, I love Jack White. That's where he grew up. Oh, little Jack White. Nice. <laughs> and Hiddleston says, Do you know he's actually his mother's seventh son? <laughs> that figures. <laughs> That's amazing. Also, apparently, Anton Yelchin was in this movie and John Hurt, yes. uh, who are both both now deceased, unfortunately. But that is crazy, and I think I may just have to purchase this one on Amazon as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough of a connection, right? That can go. That can go on my shelf. Paul's gonna have a whole bucket full of tangentially related DVDs. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like physical media in the morning, huh? Yeah, well, physical media is, you know, what one would call it the media of the past, Paul. And, you know, people would would make this media, uh, you might as well just be, you know, banging bones on, on drums, oh Paul. You might just be taking these bones, you're just so living in the past with this physical media. You're just a caveman, you've got bones. James, it's a rag and bone. Oh, James, a rag and bone is the segment of the show where we talk about those real strange crap and and honestly I don't know what else, what other strange weird stuff there is left to talk about here cuz it's all been pretty strange uh, but whenever we find little weird segments like this we put it into its own little corner of the uh, podcast and we call it rag and bone so this week's rag and bone is this is all via the guardian Stephen Coogan who stars in Coffee and Cigarettes uh, alongside Alfred Molina in one of the funnier bits. Oh, yeah. One of the funniest bits in the movie, I would say. Yeah, he's good. And Jack White have never actually met because these these films were so sporadically shot. The Guardian had offered them a chance to correspond online, Paul. 
What does that mean? I mean, the internet itself offers us a chance right. to correspond online, but okay. Right. The Guardian, I, I guess, what's the word, catered this correspondence for both of them together in letter format. Let me read you Jack White's letter to Steve Coogan. Okay. Before I begin my questioning of you, Mr. Coogan, I would first very much like to say that I am not a fan of you, but I am a fan of your work. And that if I had children, which may or may not be legally possible, I would very much like them to grow up with a determination not unlike what you display in your characters, but not that of you personally, of which I cannot attest to knowing, having never actually met a comedian, in quotes. Wow. For the record, the following questions cannot and will not be an admission of guilt or be used in a court of law to prove anything about the relationship or ships between Mr. Stephen Coogan and myself, one of which is not actually me. Signed, Jack White III. <laughs> what a weird thing that's happening. That, that is, that is yeah. but the first section of this correspondence, because it goes, they, they have a letter from Jack, a letter from Stephen, a letter from Jack, a letter from Stephen. Okay, here's some highlights. Jack White, some questions to Stephen Coogan. Did you know that you are spelling your name correctly with a PH instead of a V, which is not unlike St. Stephen, who was stoned to death? And as a follow-up, if you did know this, why haven't you told anyone? <laughs> also, another question Jack proposes, I wish you would say that you met me whilst filming Coffee and Cigarettes, a film we both held top billing in, but you can't. Does this ever come up in your party conversations? And also, were you happy with yours and or Meg White's performance in the film? <laughs> Stephen actually answers, he, he answers all of his questions. I'll read a couple of his answers. There are way more questions than that, but Stephen answers, the answer is yes, it does come up in dinner party conversations. Sometimes I tell the truth and I haven't met you, but have your CD in my car. But if they are particularly obsessive fans of yours, I lie and say that we are best mates. And I say that you and Meg are great <laughs> admirers of my work. And we frequently talk about how we are on the same wavelength. I loved Meg's disinterest and your commitment to f and focus in explaining the Tesla machine. <laughs> he, he continues oh, answering man. other questions. I mentioned being cool. Your performance in Coffee and Cigarettes along with Meg's didn't seek to be cool and paradoxically ends up with being super cool. Is this how you approach your music? His second question <laughs> is in two parts. Is Meg White really your sister or is that just kind of a weird thing to make you seem enigmatic? <laughs> he says he... He says he once pretended to be married to his dad, but it backfired. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, that's very good. Jack says, I'm sure Meg would love to hang out with you and will probably drink you under the table. Coffee, that is. And coffee the drink, not coffee the table. And he says, uh, you guys can sit around and she can tell you how much more better she is than me. That's so like her, too. Just a couple of weird guys writing letters to each other through an English newspaper. Well, you know, just an average, your everyday Sunday. This is so long, and I'm, I'm just cherry-picking some things here. Swank, take a memo! <laughs> Dear Steve Coogan, I wish to correspond to you via The Guardian. Is that with a PH or with a V? Actually, it's funny you ask that, Swank. His full name is spelled with a P-H, but he abbreviates it to Steve with a V. I suppose you couldn't abbreviate Steve with a P-H. That would be Steph. Oh, God. So here's... Swank here's and that, that memo. Might be telling. Hugs and kisses. <laughs> That's with the X and the O. 
Put a, you know what? Put a couple of extra in there. Just yeah, those are from me. And actually, can you use the stationery from the casino from that weekend we took in the in the Berkshires last fall? That was lovely. The the seasons were changing. The colors, Swank. They were glorious. Swank says okay. Steven gets the last word in. He says, finally, your failure to use lowercase lettering in the last email suggests you are shouting, in which case coffee and cigarettes <laughs> with you would be a bit weird. Wow. Besides which, I was only using you as a route to Meg and or Holly. Uh, Holly of Holly Golightly fame, which he asks about earlier in the letter. Yeah. He then says, a firm handshake from across the pond, Stephen. Wow. So all of that is yeah. lovely, James. I find that amazing. Yeah. So that that's that's today's uh, Dragon Bone. Dragon Bone. So I think that's gonna do it for this episode, Paul. Do you, do you wanna do you wanna throw it to our third man this week? Let's throw it to our third man for this week. Uh, we'd like to welcome our third man this week, Mr. Frank Jones Tuminello, the third, the fourth, the fifth, Mr. Frank Tuminello. Thanks. I know I was all those things. Welcome, Frank. How are you? Good, good. It's an honor to be here. I'm happy you invited me on. Yeah. It's great to have you here. Uh, we we invited you here to, to talk to us and the listener about film, about movies, specifically the one that we're mostly going over in this episode, which is Jim Jarmusch's Coffee and Cigarettes. Well, let's give a little background. So are you are you familiar with, with Jack White and the White Stripes? Yeah, I mean, not as much as you guys, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There is a sickness James and I share. I mean, yes. So you're familiar with his music, uh, and and from what I also know, you're familiar with his music videos as well. You're a big fan of Michelle Gondry. Michael, is it Michelle? Have we been calling him Michael Gondry this whole time? And I'm pretty it's, sure it's Michelle Gondry. Yeah, shit. Damn it, Paul. <laughs> That's a pretty big error we've been making pretty consistently. All right, so this, so we're now introduced. Let's uh, impromptu stop breaking down, Paul. Um, So it seems that on every podcast, we have been calling him Michael Gondry. Don't quote me 100% on this, but I'm pretty sure it's Michelle Gondry. And we're getting it from a reliable source, uh, verbatim, quote, it's Michelle Gondry and not Michael Gondry. So we're sorry. There's a collection of DVDs. It's called like the director series, and it features a bunch of um, different music video directors, like Spike Jones. Spike Jones. Yeah, I love him. Yeah, he's a good man. Good man, Spike. And the there's one for Michelle Gondry. They're really really good DVDs. Like I would highly recommend them if you ever see them. And those have the Beastie Boys and stuff on them, right? They have yeah a, a bunch of work by each one focuses on a specific director. Um, so the Michelle Gondry one has all the White Stripes uh, videos on it and stuff. And there's like a bunch of behind the scenes info and making of. And yeah, it's all really interesting. Huh. Hmm. I've seen that on Amazon. I've never picked it up. I don't know if they're still in print or not. I don't think they're that expensive. Hmm. By the way, guys, a quick five second YouTube search uncovered. It is, in fact, Michelle. Yeah, Michelle. And that was really all we had to do from the start. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's been a stuff yeah. breaking down. He's one. He's one of my favorite music video directors. So I, I hoped I was pronouncing it correctly this whole time. Frank, you've already been an invaluable help to our podcast. Thanks. Well, guess guess I'll get going now. Well, Joms and Frank, we did a great job. Yeah. It turns out you've been pronouncing Frank's name wrong the entire time. It's Foot Rank. Foot Rank uh, Tortellini. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting tidbit of information that I'm happy we know now. Oh, boy. So, Jim Jim Jarmusch, are we, am I pronouncing that right? <laughs> that, I don't know. Okay. Here, let's do a quick Google search of that. I don't know if we need to do that. Jim Jarmusch. His, his body of work is pretty crazy. I mean, Broken Flowers was sort of the only thing I was familiar with him, I think, like prior to watching this movie, unless I'm mistaken. Have you guys seen... Oh, and Dead Man. He did Dead Man, too, which is actually really good. Johnny Depp. It was one of Johnny Depp's early films. I don't know if I've ever really seen any of his films, actually. Yeah, Stranger Than Paradise, Down by Law, Coffee and Cigarettes. Oh, Stranger Than Paradise? Yeah. Uh, I, I've seen I've seen bits of that. Okay. Talking Heads, Storytelling Giant, music video, a movie called Mystery Train, Red Hot and Blue, which is a TV movie, Night on Earth, Dead Man, Year of the Horse, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. That's a cult classic. Yeah. Not only that, if you look at the Bill Murray scene, Riza is wearing a hat for Ghost Dog. Oh, really? Nice. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's pretty cool. But then we have Broken Flowers, The Limits of Control, Only Lovers Left Alive, a movie called Patterson, and then Gimme Danger. Of those movies, the only one I had seen was Broken Flowers, and and as it turns out, Dead Man, which is this weird black and white cowboy film starring Johnny Depp, which is very, very avant-garde and bizarre, which Vin Turo showed me a a few years back. It does seem pretty in tune with most of Jim Jarmusch's other stuff. Also, a side note, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai's soundtrack was completely done by Riza. Oh, really? Oh, that make, that explains that? Okay. Time mathematically inclined, walk, talk with my mind, I pack metal black ass, stay the steps, walk for war, black knight attack, crash the coast wave like showing young hitman, body and uh, I showed Frank specifically the Jack White segment and also the Bill Murray segment. Uh, what, what did you think, Frank? It was very interesting. It was like some kind of bizarre alternate reality where celebrities are in it and they act weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty accurate. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know how they really act, but it it seemed weird. Yeah, it was like a French like French Kevin Smith or something, you know, like Yes, it's like uh Le Clerks. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you think of the segment? I mean, beyond it being weird, because I thought it was weird too, but the more I watched it, the more the charm came through. I found it very charming in the end. I think I, I have to really watch, maybe I have to watch the, the movie as a whole. Yeah. Maybe everything w- w- would flow a little bit more naturally or something. No? No. Okay. <laughs> um, There's definitely a flow to it in that all of the segments are similarly paced and in like similar tone feeling disjointed is probably a byproduct of how it was shot because this thing was made over a 17 year period to the point where that what yeah to the point where that first uh, roberto benini and stephen wright segment at the very beginning was actually filmed in 1986 when was the uh the, the part with icky pop and tom Waits that was filmed, filmed in 1993 it's jumping around sort of decades kind of culminating right at the end there because the white stripes look like they're in about 2001 2002 era 
the same is probably after white blood cells but it, it was then compiled from a series of shorts into the film and then released sort of after the fact like that but that's a crazy long period of time so no wonder the thing felt kind of cr- like bumper cars because it's bouncing between not only scenes but decades they were improvising a lot of the scenes which is neat because it's got that sort of pseudo curb quality there's like a, a a basic um like layout of what's going to happen and then yeah i think that's about it is it going to be unscripted like curb this was definitely Detroited up. The Stooges is playing in the background on the jukebox. It is down on the street, which is funny because obviously Iggy Pop is in the film earlier on. It smacks of being in that early Stripes era as well because uh, they're still sort of perpetrating the siblings thing. You know, they're very much talking to each other like brother and sister and Jack goes to wheel away the the red sort of wagon, the little red wagon with the Tesla coil on it at the very end, which is a very sort of childish thing to do. So they're very right. they're very much filling those roles. Yeah. It's definitely bizarre. And I, I have to imagine that a lot of it does have to do with with Jack's input. Do you think um someone can appreciate the movie if they weren't familiar with any of the musical artists or celebrities or on an artistic level, yes. There, like on a cinematography level, there's there's some definitely interesting things that are going on. The the black and white really plays well, especially with the white stripes segment. But with all of them, he he uses a checkerboard pattern on every single table. He really pulls in some high contrast uh, from his subjects. He utilizes Megan Jack's really 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 hyper white complexion mm-hmm. to make some interesting contrast decisions. Uh, so I think on an artistic level, people. People yeah. do get it. Yeah, but part of the charm is the celebrity thing. I think, Frank, you're onto something there. Like, can we appreciate it without that? Yeah. Like, for instance, in the Kate Blanchett scene, there she plays opposite herself. And I had no idea she was actually the other person in that sequence. And it didn't matter to me that it was Kate Blanchett or not. I found it very impressive that this one actress was able to portray herself and then her screw-up cousin. And it was totally convincing to the point where I had no idea. So for that kind of stuff, yeah, like, I think you can enjoy it on that level. But I think part of the wink and the nod and the charm of it all is, like, playing with that celebrity thing to draw your attention to the art piece a little bit more. It's almost... It's, it's using the celebrities mm-hmm. is almost his way of screaming, hey, look at this, because you probably wouldn't otherwise. But uh, they're, they're all revolving around that sort of a, that same theme of uh, conflict and self-absorption and obsession. Each each scene sort of plays into those in, in different ways. Uh, in the White Stripes case, it's over the, the Tesla coil and you know, Meg sort of being the apathetic voice to Jack's very obsessed voice, but Meg having that purity of vision to see what was wrong with the thing to begin with. That's a way more in-depth look at it than I had when I first gave it away. Well, yeah, I mean, there's also, like, the back and forth of it, like, the Alfred Molina one's really cool, too. I know, Frank, you didn't watch that one, but in the Alfred Molina one, he starts out playing opposite Steve Coogan, who I didn't actually know, but I sort of recognize. He's looking for friendship in Steve Coogan. He's been obsessed. He found out that they're cousins through this biological research that he did. And then Steve Coogan's sort of disinterested and doesn't want anything to do with him until Alfred Molina takes a call from Spike Jones, And then suddenly Steve Coogan's really interested in it and Alfred Molina's not. So it plays with that sort of duality and back and forth kind of stuff. It's it's definitely a movie you have to put yourself into. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't sit down my wife and say watch this because i know it's not her kind of movie even though i did put it on and she watched maybe 
20 minutes of it said i don't really care for this and i'm like yeah i get it um yeah so i i guess you have to be looking for an experience you really have to want to engage into or read into so had uh jack and and meg ever acted before prior to this yeah jack had actually been in a movie called the rosary murders which was a 1970s horror film (laughs) okay Uh, he was a he was a child actually (laughs) we actually go over in this episode uh, for a brief minute that was like his first acting role as a as a child actor so he wasn't really a stranger to it and then by this point he had already um you know, started filming music videos because he had started to really hit it big. So mm-hmm. he was starting to become comfortable in the camera, but he hadn't really done anything major. His his first major acting role, I really wouldn't consider this that, but his first major acting role was Cold Mountain, which was actually uh, one or two years after this. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say The Simpsons. <laughs> no, that was actually, that was three years, three years post the release of this. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's that's another, we actually go over that in a, in a previous episode, but that uh, appearance is hilarious. They build him as a guest star and he has one line. So. Right, right, right. I don't actually, I don't remember the context of the episode, actually. I, I, I don't. I don't remember like how it fits in the episode. It doesn't really. Yeah. It, it's really. Bart has like ADHD. Oh, it's that one. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah the, okay. Now I remember it. This was a theatrical yes. film, or was it like select theaters? I think it was or, more. Because I'm curious to see what it was up up against. Not not that it was trying to be a, a box office smash or anything, but that's a good. That is good. Hold on. Oh God. Oh, there's some good ones here. Oh. Okay. Do you guys want to hear some of the big releases? Yes. We have Too Fast, Too Furious. I mean, it's a great 20, film. No, it isn't. 28 <laughs> Days Later, which is... Sure. <laughs> All right, Frank, here's what we're going to do with these. I want to I, I want to get... We're going to go through this list, and then I want to hear one or two sentence like, F*** you, or that's awesome. All right? Too Fast, Too Furious. No. <laughs> Twenty-eight days later, it's okay. <laughs> this is this is word association at, at its no, finest, this. folks. Uh, this is a so, great game. I love this movie title. Frank's response. Twenty-eight days later, by the way, was supposed to have Hotel Yorba in it, which we talked about on the uh, on the Greatest Hits episode. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Film. Yeah, yeah. Ang Lee's Hulk. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Wow is the is the one sentence. All right. Uh, Rugrats go wild. Rugrats yeah. go wild. I've never actually, I've never seen it. That's the one where the, with the uh, wild thorn sure. berries. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I n- never saw that. Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say Ang Lee has the strangest body of work. Like, what, when you look at every movie he's directed, like, none of them are even remotely similar to each other. He did that w- Woodstock movie, did the movie about Woodstock. The one with Dimitri Martin? Anyway. Dumb and Dumberer when Harry met Lloyd. Oh, God. Definitely didn't see that. <laughs> I did. It's I, not good. I like the first one. From Justin to Kelly. Oh, my God. This was all within the same month or same yeah, weekend? Or? Same month. Same month. We have Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. This is like the hit box office month. Why are... This is the biggest <laughs> load of crap I've ever this seen in my June, life. June, June of 2003. And then, uh, and then we have something called Whale Rider. I don't know what that you is. You know that one. It's where the yeah, guy rides a lot, the whale. There's a lot here I haven't heard. The Heart of Me, No Turning Back, Hollywood Homicide, The Legend of Suryotai, Alex and Emma, Dead Watch, 
the hard word on underscore line uh, is classified under erotic and has no stars. Uh, and then wrong turn, which is classified under teen, which has four stars. It was a year of independent cinema is what I'm getting at. So Hulk, Hulk and Too Fast, Too Furious were the two big films. Yeah, yeah that it looks month. like it. Uh, yeah. Wow. Jarmusch really tucked this one in <laughs> under the wire. Like he really had some some uh, some real good movies to, to compete with. You know, I I would have to say, I guess I could say that this, even though I only seen two segments from it, I, I'm going to declare that this was the best movie of June 2003. <laughs> well, it, it really topped January, which featured Kangaroo Jack. <laughs> well, that leads to my favorite uh, animated film, Kangaroo Jack White, uh, where he scolds other kangaroos on the uh, Australian outback for using their pouches. Uh, he calls them tan gadgets on their stomachs. <laughs> I've definitely lost you guys. Uh, if it's animated, I'm all in. Uh, they got Paul Hogan to do the voice yeah. of Jack White, which was a bold choice on their I part. I was going to say Steve Irwin. <laughs> I was going to, and then I went with Paul Hogan because Paul Hogan is way funnier. Frank, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you. Any shout outs you want to give before you want to leave here? What do you want to see? You want to say hi to anybody? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to say hi to? Uh, I want to say hi to my dog. Uh, she's a schnoodle. She's a half half poodle, half schnauzer. Her name is Cassie. Sounds lovely. Uh, that, that's it. It's short for Cassio. <laughs> no, it isn't. I also want to say hi to Cassie. If you're listening, uh, we love you. You're the best schnoodle out there. Yeah. And before we go real quick, uh, the, one of the first movies to open in July, Illegally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde, followed by Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. All right, stop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I actually kind of like Terminator 3. Go f*** yourself. I'm sorry. (laughs) That movie sucks. It's the last Terminator movie that feels like Terminator. Disagree. Down. Two thumbs down. There's a deleted scene. There's a deleted scene in that movie that's one of my favorite deleted scenes of all time where it shows the origin of the Terminator's voice and why it sounds Austrian. Uh, and it's an amazing scene. It's it is very good. I'll give no. him that. That scene is worth it for that movie. <laughs> all right, no, Paul. That... All right, the the everybody's spoken. Uh, Terminator three, best movie of of ever. Uh, we did it. Everybody, go home. Thank you, Frank, for joining us. Thank we really so appreciate much. it. Thank all you, right. thank you, thank you. <laughs> Please have me back. Yeah, we this will. This was fun. Yeah, we will definitely we'll get back to the show. Light the lights. That's how that song goes, yeah. Sing it with me, Paul. Sing the lyrics with me. Light up the cameras and gotta have faith, faith, faith. Gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. Baby. And you know I'm Jack asking you to stay Say please, please, please don't go away Cause I'm giving him the blues stuff. Baby What were we talking What were we talking about? Uh, Paul, I believe we were talking about I don't know <laughs> yeah, Movies, James, something James, like, Paul, this was a great podcast
I mean, it was a podcast, but... It was a fine <laughs> cast. We have some shout-outs we want to give here. People who have been talking about the show on social media. Thank you all for interacting with us there. Uh, we'd like to thank uh, Elizabeth Keenan, who is at Bad Cover Version on Twitter. Yes, I will tell you who I'd like to thank the minute I open the document. <laughs> We'd like to thank Meg Willoit. Willhoit. Willhoit. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Thank you, Meg. Yeah. We uh, would like to thank Matthew Sumo, who is at Matman Begins on Twitter, who has a lovely, lovely Twitter handle. <laughs> thank you to Luchelle Bonds Sartain. Thank you so much, Luchelle. And lastly here, Stephanie Sicard, thank you. Unfortunately, we don't speak French, but we're, we're very happy to have you listening to our podcast. So thank you so, so much, Stephanie. Yeah. James, we got a couple regulars here, and I added a new one to the mix. Thank you to Jeremy Riles. Keeping us on the rails, Jeremy Riles. Thank you to Callie Durga, as always. Thank you, Callie. You're the best. Thank you, Adrian King, punk rock queen, Adrian King. Andre Lyman. Andre, thank you so much, Andre. You're the best. Thank you, Eileen Corsano. I'm sure you've never heard no, that I one before. I guarantee you that's a that's a fresh joke. We just took that right out of the joke oven. It smells great. It smells like a good <laughs> oven-baked joke. Fresh off the presses. Oven. Yeah, the oven. Fresh off the oven. That's that's what that's the thing people say. We are deeply sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. David Poe, thank you. Uh, we've added you to the list of regulars here. We see you commenting. All right. Mm-hmm. Chicken head question and comment. <laughs> so thank you, David. We're sorry. <laughs> Paul, we've had a bit too much coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've just been, I've got all this nicotine in my system now, and I feel physically ill, and that's not a goof. I'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in recording our theme song, We're the Third Men. And I would also like to thank Susanna Roundtree for the intro and outro of our program. Thank you, all of you people. Yeah. You're great. Thank you so much. If you'd like to get in contact with us, uh, come on down to Facebook Town. <laughs> Paul winced. Paul winced in pain at that one. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash third men. Come on, talk at us. We, come on, come on down. We, we talk back. It's fun. I would also very quickly here like to thank again our third man for this week, Frank Dimonello. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Frank. Frank, you were lovely. You were great. We loved having yeah. you. Yeah. And then uh, if you'd like to contact us on Twitter, you could tweet at us at third men cast or use the hashtag third men cast. Yes. You can tumble with us just like I'm tumbling into an abyss a dark abyss <laughs> with, this, with these jokes thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com yeah you go to our the source thethirdmen.wordpress.com that's where we post all our show notes and where we post the episodes originally so you can check that out or or you could email us directly at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com i'm just doubling up on you james i'm just doubling, just doubling right it up. up paul if we get anything wrong feel free to email us facebook us tweet it tweet us tweet us whatever tweet it you could search us on youtube rate review us subscribe on itunes or whatever podcatcher you use no matter what it helps us please uh, rate review and subscribe and i would like to say Paul, yeah. that we are going to start a contest uh, for to, to get us up to 20 reviews on iTunes. Ooh, we have nine more to go to get cool. to 20 reviews. So we have we have a, a, a sweet giveaway. We have a Loretta Lynn DVD. 
that was exclusive to the Loretta Lynn vault. It features Jack White. It features Loretta Lynn. It's very good. And it's a great, great DVD. Yeah, I love this. Thing. And it's yours free if you review our podcast and then take a screenshot of your review and email it to us at thirdmanpodcast at gmail.com you know with your name don't have to put contact info we're gonna we're gonna do a randomizer we're gonna pull out a name once we get to 20 we'll do this randomizer so guys go on rate review subscribe on itunes if you do that we will pick one of you to receive the dvd i just want to make it clear we don't have multiples of this thing but you have to yeah send us a screenshot and put that in an email and then uh we will pick one of those and uh you will get a free dvd but uh let me tell you this thing is awesome i love this it's one of my favorite vault dvds i've ever seen um so really really cool will also be a random pick it's not going to be us just picking one out the at the wazoo i guess is the, the right turn of phrase right paul yeah yeah all kinds of wazoos over here so that we pick them out of wazoos we'll have full rules and details on our facebook page you can check them out there and uh, we'll also put them on our website too so you can see see them in the show notes and stuff so uh if you if you have any questions about the rules please feel free to ask us and um and then one other thing you guys can do to be on the show, if you like, is uh, to submit uh, listener questions. Do that uh, in our Facebook group or, or tweet at us. You can send it to us in an email. But we're going to keep doing those listener question shows every now and again. So uh, please send those over to us and we will answer every question we get. Right. Always always taking submissions. So, James, it's been real. It's been fun. But it's late. And now we're done. <laughs> and until next week, James... I think I might just be looking for a home. I'll be looking for a home. In Los Angeles. <coughs> Bye. God. Goodbye. <coughs> for more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. want to say for the record i think you guys have funny jokes thank you dear yeah guy who sings faith inappropriately and yeah uh, we liked him i don't know the all the words you say can't help but think yesterday and another who tied me down with the love of boy blues before this river becomes an ocean love comes down without devotion it'll take a storm and baby but I will show with you the door life is Once again, we don't do any additional research. We just kind of let it fly, you know? It could be it could be even more wrong for all we know. It could be it could be so wrong that it's right though, is the hope. But that's, that's what that's I was just that's uh, oh well you know what there's there is one other thing, James. Oh, oh Paul. Yes. James, you have tuberculosis. Oh, God. <laughs>
It's real bad. Real bad. Uh, I actually did... I Never mind, I didn't... I didn't have anything else. He's a Jack White, boys on film. <laughs> oh, that smoke's still going on. It's real weird, James. The bars. The bars. The bars? The bars. The bars. The beers? The beers? The beers. It's coffee and cigarettes. No, no, it's Aaron Sorkin. This is the beloved spin-off film from the uh, much maligned uh, later cast of all that. And the, uh, uh, th- that there was that sketch, right? This, that's what this is based on, right? This is a Nickelodeon film. Am I to understand? <laughs> yes, Paul. Yes, Anne. God, whatever. Like, you didn't watch that with me. God. You really don't remember that. Remember what? That skit from f***ing all that, man. Which one? The coffee one. I'm gonna send you pictures of this. Oh my god. I'm sorry. Sugar and coffee. Whoa, man. Expect many text messages about that throughout the show. I'm getting repeated texts from sugar and coffee. Who's this person? Oh, it's Amanda Bynes. I was like, who's this awful cheetah lady? Oh, it's Amanda Bynes. Getting lots of texts about sugar and coffee. This episode's going <laughs> scoops. <laughs> oh, we got more. Oh, I got two more. <laughs> who's this cheetah lady? He's like a mix of Harry Potter and Michael Myers. <laughs> Under the school of witchcraft and shrekery. Are you staying with me, by the way? Oh, yeah. Hey, can I stay with you? <laughs> okay, no. Uh, no. No, can I stay yes. with you, James? I have no place to stay. Jim Jarmusch looks like, um, looks like Andy Warhol. Wolverine. <laughs> we can't. We can't call them penis pals, Paul. I think we, we can. can. I think we, we are. I think that's what's happening right now. All right, so Jim and Jack are penis pals. If you had a lady's name, Swank, it might be Dame Ben Swank, perhaps.